1: My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I kept in a but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. For about 30 years after Christ's crucifixion, information about him was transmitted orally. But by 70 AD, the apostles had far too many followers to continue to spread the gospel by word of mouth. Immediately following the crucifixion, the first Christians lived out Jesus' teachings in small, self-sufficient communes. But thanks largely to the widespread conversion of Southern Europe and Asia Minor by Paul and his disciples, Christianity became a powerful force reaching into all levels of society. So records of Christ's life and teachings came to be written down. It was however several hundred years before the church became officially organized, and one major part of this organization was that of the official biblical texts, two major councils in North Africa, in Hippo, Augustine's bishopric in 393, and in Carthage in 397, established the canons of Old and New Testaments and the Apocrypha. Today, we focus on the parts of the Bible that were lost to time, the lost books of the Bible, and joining me to discuss this is a podcaster and author who recently wrote An amazing new book titled, Revealing the Secret Teachings of Jesus, the Gospel of Thomas, Volume 1, verses 1 through 10, by Clayton Q. Terry, who joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and enjoy this conversation with Clayton Q. Terry. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast and with me today for his first time is an excellent guest who I've spoken to a while back. He has a new book that we're going to be talking about and he's also got a podcast that you may be interested in listening to, especially after this conversation. Clayton Kuteri joins me for the first time here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. What's up, Clayton? Welcome to the show. Happy to have you here, and long overdue, because we did get in touch a while back. You've been a part of Alt Media United since then, and I'm excited to catch up and see what you've been up to in the meantime.
2: Yeah, man, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. I know everything that you're doing with all Media. I know all the stuff you abstractly do with Sam, and dude, I'm here for it. a big supporter, and so this is great to finally meet face-to-face. I know we've exchanged some ideas, but... Excited to get into
1: it, man. Excited to finally record our first podcast together. Well, here we are. So tell us a little bit about yourself, because obviously you have a podcast traveling to consciousness. You have a book that's out right now. But when did this journey begin for you? Were you always sort of an open-minded type of person, maybe a black sheep like myself? Have you always been interested in this sort of spiritual journey? Take us through that. It's a great question, man. And It's a long story and we can get lost
2: in the details. So I'll try to keep it high level and let you pick apart where you want to dive in at. But generally speaking, I've always been a very curious individual. I've always been one of those questioners of, well, why do I have to follow the rules? Why is it? Why do I have to even stay up? Why can't I stay up late? What's the problem with that? And it came from a very logical place. I was a computer engineer. Math came easy to me sports came easy to me. So I was like, found myself in this mixture of being a jock, but also being a nerd. And I took that to college and I ended up going to college for computer engineering, graduated, got a job out in San Diego, California, where psychedelics were a big part of the scene. And so after dabbling with some, you know, it really opened my mind and my eyes to this other world. And Before my eyes even got open to that, like I won the societal game of life, if you will. I was a software engineer. I had two beaches within a 30-second walk of my house. I had my pick of the litter when it came to girls. There was a beautiful hookup culture out in San Diego, and it was unfulfilling. There was a piece of me that when I told people how I was living, where I was living, they were getting more enjoy out of it than I was. And I was like, there's something off here. Flash forward a little bit. And I had a weird breakup with a girl. Didn't make sense to me. My logical mind kicked in and it led me to asking those deeper questions of why did this fall apart? Everything was perfect. The next thing I know, I come into contact with a girl who does psilocybin therapy. And so in working with her, I uncovered some sexual trauma that I didn't realize was running my show to the present day. And so after unpacking that, I had my first dark night of the soul. If your audience is probably familiar with what those are, if not, we can dive into that. But had my first dark night of the soul. And then after that, did two more psilocybin therapy sessions. The very last one told me that I had to do what I fear most, which was quitting my perfect job of being a computer engineer. Traveling the world and starting my podcast. So, no questions asked, just did it. And it sent me on one of the coolest rides possible. That I, it's every single day is amazing. And it led me to where I am today, finishing my first book and sitting here talking to you. So, consider it a beautiful, successful journey to this point.
1: Yeah. Now, What do you think led to those circumstances, as you described, that were unfulfilling? Do you think it was something to do with your upbringing? Do you think that was indicative of the culture in San Diego or even just the culture of our generation, assuming we're close in age? I think, you know, from my age to your age, we can probably say, like, the hookup culture was a thing, maybe after the social media sort of became mainstream, right? After Tinder and all these sort of dating apps started to monopolize off of, you know, that. it, I noticed, at least in my teenage years, speaking as a 28-year-old, that culture was kind of influenced in like a feedback kind of way where people mm-hmm. had the ability to maybe do things that, They wouldn't have 20 years ago. And, you know, I'm not some moral high horse, but I do think that I can appreciate where you're coming from with your perspective and what you took away from that situation, because I myself have felt that way over the past few years, too, and realized like, oh, maybe my upbringing or the circumstances I was in or the pop culture movement that I was hit with it sort of threw off my natural sort of trajectory of what maybe my sexuality, how it could have been expressed in a maybe a more natural way. But what do you think? Is that something that you think is indicative to culture itself? Maybe West Coast? or is this just something that all of us modern humans are dealing with right now? Yeah. There's a couple of things that are coming up and to unpack this
2: and you know, I had two ex strippers on my podcast who talked about this scene in general of let's say the sexualization or over-sexualization of the modern woman. And it seems to me, from my perspective, I could be wrong on this, but from my perspective, the newest wave of feminism has perpetuated this idea that stepping into your sexuality is empowering to women and Especially talking to these ex strippers, like who have now found a more spiritual path, they talk about how it was absolutely destroying their inner power, their inner peace. They were, you know, feeling like they were just gross to have a lack of a better phrase for it. So, where it comes from, you know, there could be a level of the pedestalization of TikTok and social media. And I'm sure it's very easy if you're an attractive girl to, you know, do a little dance, show some skin, and you get validation for it. And the problem with that, and this is actually going to lead into the book pretty strongly, which is that finding the power from the external world. You know, you're deriving your power from the validation of others. You're getting likes, you're getting, wow, you're so hot from the external world. And it's, it solves like a base level primal instinct. But once you've experienced that enough, it no longer satisfies you. And this kind of ties into a little bit of your question as well, which is, you know, where does this come from? Is it our current society? Is this like, what is this? Like, is it our generation? Is it because of social media? And I think it's just this exploitation of something that's a part of our soul journey, like our souls go through this awakening. And a part of that is, stepping through the, let's say, veil of sexuality. And it seems to me, at least in my journey and majority of people I talk to, that you need to go through that layer of having the ability. Let me phrase it like this. Let me backtrack because I could come across wrong. You know, I know Dr. Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot. And it's the idea that if you're a weak person, If you have no power, then you can't be nice. Like it's not possible for you to be nice. You're in essence, useless to the world. And so you need to understand how to confront that tyranny or that lion that sits within you. And if this idea is resonating with people, I suggest they check out verse seven in gospel of Thomas because in it, and maybe this is actually a great place to kind of bring that in. In this gospel, he talks about a lion and devouring the lion, and let me actually see if I can bump down to verse 7. So, verse 7 of the gospel of Thomas, Jesus said, blessed is the lion that is eaten by a human, so that the lion becomes human, and cursed is the human that is eaten by a lion, so that the lion becomes human. It kind of gets confusing there, but blessed is the lion that is eaten by a human. So it's saying that we need to confront that internal, instinctual nature of ourselves and integrate it. It's like, okay, I have propensity to do the hookup culture. Like I know that is a very primal level instinct that I'm conquering there. So how do I overcome it? How do I integrate that into my being of humanity, of my divinity? And that's like the small nuanced difference between nature and being human, which is the divinity or our propensity to be in, come in contact with the divine that we need to essentially overcome. So you have to confront that lion. And in a way, confronting that lion is the sexual nature. Okay, can I confront this sexual nature, understand the energy, and then master it such that I'm able to overcome it? And I think that's, generically speaking, an energy that is just exists throughout humanity as a whole. And I think it's just you know, we, you can talk about ancient civilizations that have crumbled. And a huge part of that is their propensity to not overcome that sexual nature. They fall into it, maybe prostitution becomes legalized, or, you know, maybe that's a whole different rabbit hole. But the society as a whole tends the scale or tips the scale towards over-sexualization and thus destroys humanity at a whole. And so I think that hopefully that at least lays a good foundation to the answer or answers the question you were looking for there.
1: Yeah. Well, and I guess that leads me to ask you like, what was your breaking point over there? I mean, San Diego is beautiful place where the weather's always perfect. You're right by the beach, as you said, you're in the mix, right? So what, you know, broke you out of that? I, you mentioned earlier, you know, it seems like people got more enjoyment out of hearing about where you lived than you were getting out of being there. So, but was there a sort of straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak? Yeah, it was that relationship that I briefly touched upon. So
2: the straws that kept piling up were, number one, my intuition saying that I have to quit my job. This job is eating me alive. This isn't for me. I know I'm in the wrong place. I would call my parents probably once or twice a week complaining just about my job. So that was one straws, one element of straws that kept piling up. The other one was, like you mentioned there, just the constantly being told that my life is so cool and so amazing, but I didn't feel it. So this combined and just kept building this mountain of just pressure. And the last one, I think that finally snapped it was that relationship where I was dating this girl for about a month and a half. And it felt like we knew each other for a year. Like it was so synergetically aligned. And she asked me, what are we? Which was completely valid. And my mind just reverted back to that logical minded, gears kind of overturning, over-analyzing person that I was two months earlier. And it was all centered around me, not understanding love or not intuitively understanding what it meant to love somebody or something because there's different facets of love. I love my podcast. I love my family. I love my girlfriend, but I didn't understand the differences between all of those. And that sent me on that catalyst of finding the psilocybin therapist that then exposed that there was this underlying trauma that was hindering my intuition. And that hindrance of my intuition was, if there's anyone into the chakras, this would be like your solar plexus chakra that was getting dulled to the most extreme extent and cut me off. It energetically was cutting me off. And so that piece, unveiling that, going through that dark night of the soul of like, oh my gosh, there's a there's another dimension here at play that I am not aware of. And so... That was really the straw that like completely spun me on my head of like, this physical dimension is not the only thing in play here. So what is that other thing?
1: Yeah, I I think there's a part of a lot of people who want to experience something like that. And then when they get there, they realize that their fantasy or their dream about it was maybe better or just it seemed better than it actually is, the reality of it is. And I think that's, you know, in a crude sense, what porn kind of does to people, not that sex isn't enjoyable, but I think it gives a tone of fantasy or it gives a tone of, you know, really like lack of integrity, and maybe that's not the right word, degeneracy maybe is a better word, where people aren't caring for each other, they're more performing the act, you know. I've been there myself as a younger man, and it's a struggle even to this day in my current relationship. I wonder, you know, when it comes to like where you live and where you are, I'm sure there's people in the Midwest who have a completely opposite experience of maybe somebody who grew up in San Diego or even someone like myself who grew up in like a regular East Coast kind of town, suburb. You know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, it was all there for us. You know, that was what being a teenager was supposed to be about, (laughs) according to the songs we heard on the radio. Right. So. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, the propaganda was strong, but what was your way out of it? You mentioned the psilocybin therapy. I've done psilocybin. Is there a difference you would say maybe between doing that recreationally and doing it in a therapeutic set? setting? Because I haven't been in a quote-unquote therapeutic setting, but I've always taken intention into my experiences with psilocybin. And a few times I went into it without a clear intention, it kind of unraveled on me, right? So I understand the need for it, but can we get into that a little bit and why you sort of gravitated towards that? Had you been someone like would use mushrooms before or had done a ton of psychedelics when you're out there in San Diego? Like, was this something already kind of on your plate or how did you first encounter that?
2: Yeah, I'd absolutely love to get into this. And I think the caveat here is that, that I want to get into this is number one, you don't have to use psilocybin or psychedelics in order to have a profound experience. They can be a helpful tool. And the way that they are helpful tools, exactly like you said, which is intention. Now, historically speaking, like I didn't try LSD until I was in college. Wasn't really crazy into it. Psilocybin I tried in college for the first time and it became a lot more prevalent whenever I got out to San Diego. And even in San Diego was when I first tried ecstasy. And that's a hell of a drug to say the least. And what I came to realize is that power of intention, right? What? Why are you taking this chemical? And whenever it comes to psilocybin therapy, you set that intention, hopefully for about a week in advance, you do some meditation on your intention. Why are you using this? What are you trying to get out of it? And for me, that session was setting that intention for a week. I met with the practitioner and then we, basically consumed it. It was very ceremonial. You know, she had some tarot cards. We had a couple of crystals, you know, <laughs> I was very, at the time I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I was like, I'm not doing this. this is, but I was just kind of going with the flow with it. I was like, all right, let's see what's, let's see what's going on with this situation here. And I put a blindfold on, you lay down and it's really, if you have a really good one, they're guiding you. They're not, telling you what to think they're not telling you what to do it's just a guidance and to make sure that the whole trip kind of stays in the rails or the ceremony stays in the rails and so through it that was essentially it It was like you put the blindfold on you lay down she's going to guide you to where you need to go and what you need to experience and if they're good they ask the right questions and you find the right answers and that's a huge Mm -hmm. development at this point too is Knowing what the right question is to ask, because questions are a very fickle thing where one word, one intention can drastically change the outcome of what you're looking for, right? Maybe your intention is to make a lot of money and you can set that as your intention with something. You make all that money, but then you get to the end of the road and you realize that wasn't the thing that you were looking for. You were looking for safety and security. And so then you can change the question to, oh, okay, how do I feel safe and secure and not worry about the money because that can be a symptom that kind of comes up. And I I think that's really the beautiful thing of a spiritual journey in general, which is finding the right question to ask in order to get to that next step. How do I alleviate the step that I'm on and get to the next one? And man, a well-placed question will do that for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, Clayton, you know, it seems like the new age stuff was new to you. Then what was your spiritual or religious rather upbringing? Like, did you have one Were your parents secular, were they in a church? Like how was religion interact? How did you interact with that when you were younger? Yeah, that's
2: a great question to get into. Given all of this, I was brought up Presbyterian, which is a Christian denomination. And I remember around 2010. I kind of just like went. We went on Sundays. Didn't really put my heart into it, if you will. But you know, it was something to say, be a part of the a community. Same and here. I remember with, what's
1: that? Same here with my family. You know, aside from my grandparents, it was very where you just go on Sundays. Catholic yeah. rather than Presbyterian. But yeah, yeah.
2: Yo, I'm curious. So I've been asking a lot of Catholics this. I'll get back to my story in a second. But did you ever read the Bible?
1: Well, as a student in CCD, they gave us like a, I don't know, like a summarized version of the Bible and they are, they made us read it at home. So there was, yeah, a point in my life where I think for a few nights, my mom and dad expected me to read my Bible, but I don't know that I read much. I think I read the part about Noah because I love, I loved animals. I still do. But when I was a kid, I loved animals, so I just went to the part with the pictures that had all the animals, and I just, you know, I was young. That was definitely when I was very young. But then in CD, as a teenager, the the classes were oriented around more of, like, how to pray and, like, the prayers. Not as much, it wasn't like a Bible study. That's what I think maybe you're getting at there. But I did notice that about the Catholic churches. They give a lot of room for, like, interpretation. Like, the priest will read something, and then he'll talk about it for 45 minutes. So we didn't really get, like, a, okay, today we're starting, in, you know, Job 3, and we're going to end here, and then we're going to start up again next week. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't have that at all. I mean, I don't even know the chapter titles of the Bible, obviously, by my <laughs> last statement. So, yeah, yeah, but please continue, because I'm sure the Catholic thing is relatable to some East Coast people, but I don't know that Catholicism is that big outside of, like, major cities, right? Like, out towards, uh, once you go further west, like, Catholicism isn't that, it's not, like, the major religion like it is out here.
2: Yeah, I'm not really sure. I know in my friend group in San Diego, there probably weren't any Catholics. Right. I guess I was curious because, like, in this journey, I've talked to a lot of Catholics who never read the Bible. So, like, it sounds like you're almost in a camp of even though you haven't fully read the Bible, you've consumed more of it than I think the
1: average. Well, and... From my perspective, at least. Yeah, and then, again, it wasn't, like, a proper Bible. They gave us, like, a kids-summarized yeah. version of it. So, even there, it's like, yeah, no, I technically didn't really read the Bible much. I think I did have a copy of it that was given to me at one point, but, no. Dude, that blows my, just
2: blows my mind. Every time I hear that, it still blows my mind that... Yeah, but... Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole, but yeah. So my pivot in my religious, you know, like I would, I would have told people I was Presbyterian, you know, and what really struck me as odd. Now, whenever I say this, I'm all for gay marriage. I think anybody who wants to get married, I, I think there's a whole conversation around, should the government get involved in our marriage or why does the government get involved in our marriage? And that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. But what really kind of woke me up was whenever they the Presbyterians changed in their Bible, or at least my church did. I don't know if all of them did, but my church, they changed in the Bible where it says that marriage is between a man and a woman to a marriage is between two people. And it really confused me as to how we could change the Bible. Like that, that, uh, like it, it wasn't about the actual thing. Again, I'm all for whoever wants to get married can get married. They should have the same rights. I just didn't understand how we could change this document from that was supposed to be our holy text. I was like that something about that doesn't sit right with me. Like, how are we
1: able to do that? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like it's been done moreover, you know, and even all the different denominations, it seems each have their own, sort of parts of the Bible that they don't talk about, you know, or maybe they leave out, right? So, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, here on the East Coast, there's tons of different denominations. Don't get me wrong when I said, like, Catholic seems to be the majority, but in my town, there's, you know, the neighborhood I was in, it was like everybody went to the Catholic church. So I had the feeling Mm -hmm. of like, oh, most people I know are Catholic. But, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, I don't... I hadn't really thought about it till you asked me, but I now that I'm thinking about it, like all of my experiences at church, I don't really remember retaining much. And I think that's part of it. Like it's more about the ceremony than it is about instructing you. And it's more about, as you put it, like with the why would they change it? It's not really about honoring this document for what it was originally worth. It's like what is it doing for us now? Because they're going and PCifying it, right? Like, oh, we need to make it politically yeah. correct, right? Because it's not about whether or not the issue's right or wrong. It's about whether or not it's going to be perceived a certain way. And we don't want to alienate certain people. And, hey, I have a, a uncle who's gay. He doesn't, you know, he's not married to his, you know, significant other. But I've never had a problem with their relationship. Or if they wanted to get married, hey, I'd go there. But, But, you know what I mean? It's like... I think when it comes to religion and spirituality, it's an interesting conversation. Recently, it's come up for me in the sense that I've noticed a lot of people who get into spirituality or conspiracy from the new age angle, they wind up making their way to the Bible at some point. And I I I, this isn't a, this isn't like a declarative statement that goes for everybody, but I've noticed it. maybe it's just Sam Tripoli and tinfoil hat and his whole Christian warrior slogan. But it just seems like a lot of people have repeated that message of like, I started looking into this stuff and the more I looked into it, the more it seemed like the truth was coming from this perspective. So given, you know, we were just at the point in your story where you were doing psilocybin with a lady who had crystals all around. How'd you get from there to going back to your, so to speak, roots? Because you you didn't really identify too much with the Presbyterian church, but you you did take something with you from the Bible, right? I mean, your book is about St. John. So tell us about that. How did you get to that?
2: I was like, as just a quick verification, it was Thomas. This one's gone. It's Gospel of Thomas. Sorry. That's I always right. do
1: that. The yeah. Catholic, you know, they didn't really give us that, you yeah. know.
2: That's my point though, man. Like that's exactly my point. Thank yeah. you.
1: Yeah. St. Thomas, my mistake. Yeah, No, it's okay. It's, it's kind of funny because like in my
2: opinion, it, it perfectly exemplifies exactly what we're talking about, Bill. right? <laughs> it, it's a perfect illustration of it. Yeah, man. But uh, yeah, doing the psilocybin sessions, like it, it showed me that there was another element Just to this reality, right? Like, how could I? And then the very last one, right? Like, do what you fear most. Like, I, you know, I was on psilocybin. So I want to be cautious about saying that it was from the voice of God telling me that. But if, like, you know, you want to talk about, you know, prophetic visions or something, like, it felt to me as though it was the voice of God saying, do what you fear most. And It energized me, man. Like whenever I said yes to quitting my job, internally, authoritatively, with the energy that which you read, at least I've read (laughs) in the Gospels of like God told me to do this. Like the amount of energy that was coursing through my body was absolutely insane. To the point where people around me were saying like your, to the effect of your courage to quit your job without a plan has helped me to start pursuing things that I feared or conversations that I feared having. And man, dude, just that alone added to this fire of like, I'm on the right path. Like it didn't even matter that they weren't quitting their job. But, but just to hear that, just to hear like your courage to do that is aiding me in my process was like, man, it's, it's emotional it, and it's emotional at the most energetic level. Of getting that motion to flow through you, that energy to flow through you. And so I just followed that. I, you know, I've don't get me wrong. Like I had a tremendous amount of fears along the way. What about money? I went and lived in Brazil for two months and I was petrified to death of like running out of money. And it wasn't only till recently that I've really integrated, let's say that feeling and the energy of money, which is a whole nother rabbit hole. But We were going on, you know, how did I get here? So, you know, I see it like a pendulum, right? My entire life, the first 25-ish years of my life, 26-ish, were super logical, super analytical. So I said, you know, fuck it. I'm going to let this pendulum swing back to the right or to the left, I guess, whichever way is the creative side. And just, you know, sit in that feminine, I have no idea what's going to happen Space and just like let the divine hand of God, if you will, take over. Very floaty, very ungrounded. And you could probably see that in the earlier podcast that I did talking to Akashic record readers or astral projection and just like letting me, pe- letting people tell me the way that they saw the world. And I still have an element of this, but it's more grounded now because I'm learning how to bring that pendulum back into the middle of how do we stay grounded in what we know and yet leave room for this divine spiritual nature and so by stepping into that space i'm able to get exposed to new ideas that absolutely have blown my mind and there's a lot of things that i probably disagree with now that i'm like oh wow that's a good but i introduced it as like that's an interesting idea that i should investigate and try on you know and to parallel my book that's like the energy that i brought into this book which is Here's some new ideas to try on. I encourage you to try them on. Here's how I've seen them work out in my life. But don't take it as, pun intended, gospel. Don't take it as gospel. I want you to try this. If it doesn't work for you, put it away. Put it back on the shelf, if you will. But if this, there is, I know, I can confidently and knowingly say that there is information in the gospel, forget my book, in the gospel of Thomas that will help people. Now, where mine comes in is that I can, I feel like I'm able to break it down to, okay, how does this work at a physical level? Okay. How does this work at a metaphysical level? Maybe some people aren't ready for the metaphysical answers that I provide, but if you can at least look at how this works at a physical level, that'll just open you wide up. I mean, the perfect example is verse one, because in verse one, Jesus says, whoever finds out what these sayings mean will not taste death. And like just reading that verse blew me wide open. Like that was like something here is legit. And it ties back to how we were talking about these ego deaths, right? I assume people have heard of it, but if they haven't, an ego death is essentially you're letting a piece of you die that's attached with this physical world. So you have an ego investment in maybe your favorite football team, right? And there's a level of attachment that you have to that football team. And it scales from look at Europe, for instance. Let's talk about soccer, the European football. There's people who have killed, literally killed referees for their teams and their level of ego investment in that team is like an all time high. Now, if they were to go through an ego death, that would be essentially them releasing that attachment to the team where they can just objectively watch soccer as like, oh, this is a cool game to watch. They're not invested in who wins or who loses, how they win, how they lose. And that's kind of the spectrum, if you will. Of our ego investment in the game of soccer i'm willing to kill for my team versus i could just watch this for fun and that's how we can view this statement jesus said whoever finds out what these sayings mean will not taste death you'll no longer taste these ego deaths you'll no longer literally kill people over your egoic investment in the sport now there's also a metaphysical answer to this which touches on reincarnation and karma to the point where you will no longer have to physically die. Like you'll know that this physical body is just a temporary suit, if you will, for you to work off karma on this physical plane. And you won't have to be afraid of death. You won't have to worry about it because your association with who you are will be more based in your divinity, your, the Gnostics call it your divine spark, as opposed to, your attachment to this physical dimension. And so by, able to t- by being able to take that step back and saying, oh, well, Clayton Keteri isn't precisely who I am. It's just a skin suit that I'm wearing for 80, 100, 120, however many years it plays out. And then once that happens, like there's a piece of me that material science agrees with. Energy is no, not created nor destroyed. It's only transferred or transformed that piece of me is my soul that will go on to the astral and has a, that has an astral body that has a causal body and also has a divine spark of God within it. So, okay, cool. This physical body will die at some point in time. And if you extrapolate that out long enough, nobody will remember who clanky Terry is. So it can release attachment to this physical body. And that's where then the esoteric answer to this comes in. And As a caveat, that's also a good way to break down how I break down these verses in the book.
1: Yeah, let's get into that, because I really appreciate that gem of wisdom that you just shared with us. And you mentioned in the beginning, somewhere in the book, Forward or however that's organized, that you didn't really set out to to do this book initially. It's sort of you were compelled to do it. Tell us about that. Elaborate on that.
2: Yeah. So talk about uh, this story involves another dark night of the soul. So, so quitting my job, being told to start a podcast, the first question that comes in is how are people going to get a hold of my podcast? How are they going to know that it exists? I know I have wisdom that I'm uncovering. So how do we get people that wisdom in their hands? Well, the big thing probably still today, but definitely two years ago was TikTok. And it's like, this is the thing everyone's on. So I should probably start making TikTok videos. Now, mind you, again, my past, I was a computer engineer. You know, I was probably on the scale of being a little bit more conversational, a little bit more connected to other people than the average engineer, but still very far away from being an entertainer. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to make videos on things I find interesting. And so it was usually more alien stories or stories about, I don't know how you want to put this esoteric knowledge or ancient civilizations. And all of that led me to this article about the gospel of Thomas that honestly, I knew absolutely nothing about. I read one article and decided to make a TikTok video on it. I had no idea what was going to happen. So I basically made a video on this topic and it went absolutely viral. The video was essentially me laying out the foundation of the gospel of Thomas why it was left out of the Bible, you know, I kind of dive into a little bit of my conspiracy rabbit hole, tinfoil hat nature in it. And I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do a video on each one of these verses. So follow along. The video ended up generating well over, I think 2 million views might be around 3 million at this point increased my Instagram or TikTok following from probably a couple thousand to well over 150,000 followers. And that shocked me. Like that's, first of all, let's dissect that. Having that many people commenting on one piece of material is crazy. The number of people who were telling me that this is the most amazing and enlightening and genius thing rivaled the same number of people that were saying, wow, this is heretical, this is blasphemous, you're the devil, you're Satan, whoever follows this is going to hell. I hope you have a plan for when you get to hell because this is how you get there. You're on a very dark path. So how do you even deal with that mentally? I mean, it's like people think they want to go viral, but if you go viral like that, I can see how it would be very dark and I can certainly see how child celebrities find themselves in a very dark place because it is not something for the faint of heart to go through something like that.
1: Yeah, I could relate in a small way with uh, my first appearance on Tinfoil Hat talking about Alistair Crowley. Some Mm. people really hated it. Some people really loved it. Sam Tripoli, the host, hated it towards the end (laughs) because of something I said. And I think I was one of the few still to this day, guests to argue with Sam on the show so i'll take my my just desserts for that but yeah it was interesting to see the backlash because some people were like oh you know sam didn't hear what he was saying and other people were like no this guy mark he's you know he's worshiping alistair crowley or whatever you know fantasy they wanted to come up with and i learned pretty quickly like oh wow i don't really want to attach myself to that energy, right? Like, I don't want to be the Aleister Crowley guy. You know, there are other people more qualified than me that have written books about him. I don't need to throw my hat in that ring. So I can relate. Yeah, I think I've only done a couple even episodes on this show touching on that topic because, you know, it's an area that I'm familiar with, but it also has some really dark implications and Mm. it can lead to some dark things too. So yeah not something I want to be associated with, but I would say, in that respect, you are on a different end of the spectrum in the sense that what you are putting out there is way more uplifting than anything having to do with Crowley, right I mean, I imagine the gospel of saint of Thomas is full of all sorts of anecdotes and things that could really change somebody's place in life if they soak in the message. So let's get into some of those. Are there any that stand out that you really want to mention? It's a good question. And we do That's edit, just- so no worries on okay. uh, if you need to pause. I mean, I'll vamp to the best of my abilities, but if there is any like dead air, we will uh, we'll edit that out. So don't worry about it.
2: I appreciate it. I'm used to not editing my stuff. I'm just
1: like, I'm oh. cool with the dead air. I'm just like, yeah, you
2: know, this is just raw natural. Just deal
1: with it. It's, we all make mistakes. It's totally cool. No, this is not a mistake at all, but we want to find, want to find some good stuff. I don't want you to have to rush. That's all.
2: Okay. You know, one that's probably good for people in the spirituality community or in the, sorry, one that's probably good for people in the conspiracy theory communities because I myself was very deep in many conspiracy theories, having this mindset of like, Oh, I know like the average person doesn't know, but I know. And so that energy can be very, you can attach to that energy very easily. And even when it comes to ideas, like we were talking about earlier in regards to the soccer teams, when it comes to like Alistair Crowley or the book of the gospel of Thomas, we can become very attached to our own ideas of them being the correct way. And that will stifle our own growth whenever it comes to spirituality or our podcasts or just even learning as a human and so with that being said you know i'm very open to criticism at this point because i do my best to detach from the i do my best to detach from the ideas that i put forth like there's some of them that i just know like from my own experience from things that people have said i just know them to be true and i'm happy to bring people along to show them that truth. But it's also being able to approach it with realizing like, it's just an idea. Like I don't need to attach my soul to an idea. So we can always update and transform it. And I'm thinking that the best verse for us to dive into would probably be verse two, where it's a lot here. So I'll try to take it slowly. Jesus said, and maybe this is a good point before I jump into the verse is that all of these verses, there's 114 they're quotes directly attributed to Jesus. So traditionally, the canon Bible are stories. they are stories that lay out, you know, Jesus and all these different things. But the gospel of Thomas is like, Jesus said this. Jesus did that. His disciples asked him this. Then Jesus said that. And so it's a very profound thing where it leaves space for interpretation, which I think is beautiful. It's not like, Oh well in the sentence before it or in the stanza before it you know the gospel was or the disciple was doing this so it has to mean that Right That reminds so me back, of
1: of a couple yeah. different books that are like really foundational for me one of them is Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do and the first you know I think the entire book is kind of comprised that way where it's just sort of few sentences Break few sentences. Break okay. just like the Tao Te Ching is. Just like yeah. the Art of War is. A lot of Asian books that are in philosophy use that style. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. I should have asked about that because I feel like the structure of the Bible is really interesting. I've heard something recently about how there are no errors in geography when it comes to the stories with the Bible. Like no places are made up. It's always a place that actually existed. The settings aren't like fabricated. There might be, you know, angels up in the sky or some, maybe they're talking about God saying something from heaven, but every location that they name is or was an actual place on the earth, which I found that to be really interesting and compelling. But you're saying that the gospel of Thomas is unlike other parts of the Bible because it's more philosophical, if I could say that, or at least it has a more, maybe a a different format than the rest of the Bible?
2: It's a little bit more open to interpretation. Okay. Maybe that's how I would put it. Cool. And it's interesting because a lot of these verses, and I put in the, I put this in the book as well, which are, there are similar biblical verses that mirror the the gospel of Thomas as well. So like, I don't know if there's any for verse one. Let me see if I can find... Yeah, so similar biblical verses of verse 1 which we talked about would be John 8:51 and Luke 9:27. So there some of them aren't exactly the same thing, but there's like a mirror so you can find like okay, let me go reference the Bible here and see the context and if, you know, then you can actually like look at it a bit deeper in those
1: regards too. Yeah, it's fascinating. Now, is there a version of the Bible that you recommend people get because I know there are different discrepancies when it comes to which version and whatnot? You know,
2: I, as a generic rule, I try not to recommend things to people just because I know we're all on our own path. What I would recommend, it depends how dedicated you want to be to it, is look at multiple versions. Because when we're talking about these esoteric languages, they were translated three or four times. So you can't really get the full picture of what is being said unless you see the multiple ways that it could be translated into our language Mm. because it's kind of like a Trying to think of what the word is like like puns puns would be a good example where if you say something i kind of said it earlier i forget what i said but like pun not intended like a double
1: entendre like means
2: two things at once yeah double entendre parable Parable,
1: yeah. I think parable. Would parable be
2: it? I think that's Again, what a parable a, is, yeah. I was a computer engineer, not an English major.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just guessing here too, but that's <laughs> fine. I'm sure someone will comment and correct us kindly, got please. But yeah. yeah very timely. <laughs> uh, but I interrupted you. You were about to read further.
2: Yeah, well, I'll read in a second. But I just wanted to point out like, right. that when it gets translated look at different translations of it because there are times where it's translated and we think that there's only one way to interpret it, but there are many ways. So for example, and a lot of, well, not a lot of it, but one of the things that gets chastised against the gospel of Thomas is the very last verse, which I haven't wrote on yet. So, or I haven't even really spoke about. So this is like actually a little bit of a exclusive verse 114 says something to the effect of This is one of the things that gets a lot of slack. And this verse is going to help us understand what I'm saying by like the double entendre or the pun that we're alluding to here. So, so, so verse 114, Simon Peter said to the other disciples, quote, Mary should leave us for women do not deserve life. End quote. Jesus said to him, watch, I will show her the way to become a man so that she too may become a living spirit like you men. For any woman who becomes a man will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Gospel of Thomas gets a lot of slack because they're like, oh, this gospel's sexist. It's saying that women won't enter heaven. You have to be a man. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. But the reason that I bring this up is because of the word man. So in our language, we use the word like mankind, human, and we think that it's a gendered word. Now, traditionally, it's actually not a gendered word at all. And what it is referring to is a Sanskrit word, which is manis, which means mind. So what we're talking about here is actually the causal realm of, and this actually, maybe I need to backtrack a little bit here. You know what? If I go too deep into that, it'll be a whole rabbit hole that we'll have to go into. I'll just put it out there like this. So we all have within us a divine spark that gets encased in a causal body that gets encased in an astral body that then gets encased in a human body. And the reason that I bring that up is because man man is essentially a word for manis, which is talking about the causal realm. So whenever we have thoughts, that's our causal body that's enacting in us. And we can choose our thoughts. We can choose which ones to act on in this physical world. But the causal body is the one that's producing essentially our thoughts. This is how whenever you have a lucid dream, you still have thoughts like you can think in your dream. They usually come to you a little bit more instantaneously, but that's your causal nature that's working through the astral. And then, of course, we have access to it here as well. So I say all this because Jesus in this verse is essentially saying like, or could be interpreted that we're talking about the manis, which is the thought form or the thought body of us, because at that level of awareness, there is no gender. Gender is a duality thing that exists in this dimension. And I think the astral as well. But once you get to the causal, there essentially is no gender. So it's like one of those things where people are essentially just misinterpreting it or they're taking the current time dualistic nature of our reality and separating it because, well, we live in a gendered reality. The physical world is gendered. So we have to gender everything and put it in its gender bucket. And so then people read this without thinking too deeply on it. And they're like, Oh, okay, this is a sexist. There's no way Jesus could be sexist. So we're going to dismiss this book.
1: Yeah. It's interesting how things get retroactively interpreted in the negative, you know? Yeah. Now you mentioned, the dark night of the soul several times. Is there anything in the gospel of Thomas that might help us understand these phases in our life or these episodes in our life better? Or Is there anything that you particularly connected with after going through those episodes from the gospel of Thomas? A good question. I mean, you know, and
2: this partially feels like a cop-out answer, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, which is you can kind of find references to the ego throughout this entire book. Because when we're talking about ego deaths, it's releasing your attachment to this world, right? Like, like you can think of your ego, which is a very difficult word to break down as anything that you identify with that you feel through your five senses. So if you can taste it, you can touch it, you can smell it, you can hear it, or you can see it. If you identify with that thing, then it's your ego that's at play. So this is my wife. That's your ego. This is my house. That's your ego. And now there's different levels of this. You can play with this as you will. You know, this is my sports team. This is my idea. You're identifying with this physical dimension in some way, shape, or form. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem becomes is if you're so attached to it that you can't move on for your spiritual evolution. Can't move on to the next thing. I'm a podcast host. That's who I am. It's like, are you really like at what level is that true? You know, and I'm not saying there's no truth to it. I'm just saying that if you are so invested in your ego, that's whenever that becomes your reality and you will fight tooth and nail for your team, your idea, your podcast. So what this, Gospel does, at a whole, or as a whole, is brings you wisdom, and I know we briefly talked about Par Mahansa in the green room, and this is probably a perfect time to bring him in because I talk about him in the book as well. Where something that he discusses, and I've seen it a couple times. I haven't seen him dive too deep into it, but he discusses it a couple times, which is the ways that God manifests within the world. And when we're saying this manifest, cause I know manifest is a muddied word at this point, we're talking about the way that God appears in this world. And there's 10 ways, according to Paramahansa, which is light, peace, vibration, which is also the Holy ghost, sound, joy, calmness, devotion, wisdom, intelligence, and I'm forgetting one bliss, for that, I say bliss, it's probably also bliss. So when we look at, and this is now, this is my, I want to be cur- courteous to the people who put the Bible together and think that they had the best intentions. If I put that hat on, then I'm saying that they created the Bible and Christianity around the manifestation of God, which is devotion. So devote yourself to Christ. He's the way devote yourself to God. He's the way. And then the ego comes in and says, devote yourself to the church because we're the way. Now, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I am very devoted to Jesus. I have my spiritual line of gurus that involve Paramahansa, his whole lineage, which involves Krishna, Babaji, Lahiri Mahashai, Swami Sri Yukteswar. And you don't need to remember those. There's not going to be a test later. <laughs> I'm just saying their names to give them the due respect they deserve and so the church was fundamentally set up around the devotion aspect of God. There's a conspiracy theory I have around that, but let's just say that it's devotion, which the conspiracy theory is that you can't control people. If you tell them that you challenge them through devotion, Oh, you're questioning the church. Does that mean you're questioning God? So are you not truly devoted to him? If you're questioning him, you're not allowed to do that. That's so you are now a little bit closer to hell. So it becomes a controlling mechanism. Now, what the gospel of Thomas does, and this is Gnosticism as a whole, is pursues God through wisdom, through the act of knowing the metaphysical truth of the reality that we exist in through wisdom, through just pure knowledge. And so I think that this is a part of the reason that it was left out of the canon Bible to begin with, because if you have people that are wise, you can't control them. Or... The be the less cynical, it would just be, well, this isn't the way that we want to pursue God. Now, in my experience at this point, I have found that you can pursue him through whichever facet you want, whichever one of those 10 you want. And it seems to me that you can transition between them. So whenever I started on this journey with Paramahansa, I was like, wisdom was like the top one for me. I was like, I want to be wise enough to understand what's being said. Cause that'll be, that's like my pinnacle North star. And as it's unfolded, I have found deeper devotion. I have found deeper calmness and I have found joy. And so it seems that as you pursue one of these, the other ones will start opening up to you, but it's, it can be beneficial to pursue one of them at a time. So let me pursue wisdom to the best of my ability. Let me pursue devotion to the best of my ability but be open to the other ways that God will then start manifesting himself. Oh, I'm a little bit low on joy. Like I've been over amplifying the wisdom. So let me, let me bring the joy up a little. Let me focus on how I can be more joyous in my activities. Oh, I've been a lot more active. So I need to be calmer. Oh, calmness is a manifestation of God. So maybe I should try to pursue calmness and to bring more calm into my life. And that's just another way of saying, bring God into your life. Just the wrap, put it like a nice little bow on it is just that this gospel takes the words that Jesus said and tries to display them in terms of wisdom. And so it's a completely valid way to pursue God. It's just not the way that we were told you're allowed to pursue him, if you will. And so I guess that's kind of the bow that brings this all together.
1: Right. And you know, now that you mentioned Gnosticism, I have seen the gospel of Thomas discussed in this context many times and I'm curious, you know, what, how you found your way to Gnosticism, because it does appear to maybe those who are unfamiliar, like a, you know, some sort of new age thing. But technically speaking, it's very old. It goes back to, you know, the early days of Europe, right? So pre-medieval times, if I'm not mistaken, it was. something oh, yeah, it was
2: before Christianity. Right. Yeah, so that's also an important thing to lay out, which is the timeline that all this has occurred. And let me know if you get a little confused on the timeline, because I know numbers for me always throw me for a loop when people start talking about B.C. and A.D.s. So the fun fact that I always love starting this off with is that Jesus was actually born between 2 and 4 B.C., So majority of people, at least I myself, thought he was zero, like zero was his birthday. But it was actually like between two and four B.C. So then his crucifixion was around 26, 28 A.D. Now, what happened after Jesus's death? Right. So there is no Christianity at this point. It's only Judaism. There's no Muslim at this point. There's obviously all the Eastern religions like Jainism, Hinduism, Sikhism, Buddhism. And I'm sure there's a lot more like pagan religions that are kind of about but not too many structured ones and so the lack of structure actually permeated you know the eastern world with jesus's teaching because there were so many people that he just influenced and touched and you have all of these texts that are pointing to the divinity of christ consciousness which is a whole other conversation we can get into and so people want to become like that So what happened was, is these small little sects started popping up where maybe some people had the Gospel of Thomas and the Book of Enoch, but they also had the Old Testament. And then you would have another sect that maybe had like Gospel of Mark or John and then didn't have other things. So it wasn't till about 300 AD when the leaders of these churches, these individual sects, right? So now we're 300 years after Jesus was on earth actually started coming together and saying, Hey, we need to make a unified religion. So let's unify our religion so that, well, the conspiracy theorists can have their opinion on why that happened. <laughs> I think we all know that we want power and control at some level. And we're, we're still in the, they are still deeply in the Kaliuga of being attached to the material world. So it's likely that they wanted control over the idea of what it meant to be Christian and so they came together and said, okay, what books are you guys teaching? Oh, well, we're teaching these books. And so they kind of picked and chose which books made the most sense to them. There was a little bit of a criteria they had, which was, let me see if I can find it. I got it here in the book somewhere. was number one, written by one of Jesus's disciples or someone who knew or talked to them. So Gospel of Thomas in the Bible is also known as Doubting Thomas, And whether or not they decided to call him Doubting Thomas to delegitimize him, I don't know, but maybe. So he checks off number one. Number two, written in the first century A.D. when Jesus lived or soon after he was crucified. Now, this is a contentious one because the scrolls that were found in 1945 in Nag Hammadi, Egypt. So people contend that these scrolls were written in about 200, I think, to 300 A.D., or maybe 300 to 400 AD, but there's a very important catalyst there, which is the fact that once the council, I feel like I'm bouncing around here. So if I'm getting confusing, please let me know. There's an interesting asterisk here, which is once the councils decided what books were going into the Bible, they started to ostracize any other teachings of Jesus. This is where heretics first came into the picture. And so Gnostics, who believed in pursuing Jesus through wisdom, were deemed as heretics. And if you're a heretic, you get burned at the stake. And if you have books that disagree with their interpretation of the Bible, they get burned as well. So my theory, and I don't know that there's any two evidence that's very strongly supports this, but just intuitionally, it makes so much sense to me, that these were copies that were hidden away because had they been found, they would have been burned. I mean, we can look to the Muslim conquest in the 600 ADs where they torched the library of Alexandria under the premise of, well, if it's not the Quran, then we don't need it. Or if it, what is it? It was like, if it agrees with the Quran, then it's not needed. And if it disagrees with the Quran, then it's blasphemous. So we might as well just get rid of all of them. And now kind of backtracking here, I apologize if I'm getting a little too chaotic here. The other four or other two, reasons that a book was included in the Bible was three consistent with other books that they believed were inspired by God. Now, again, going back to the devotion versus wisdom, maybe we can have an argument here that they didn't want people presuming wisdom. They instead wanted it to be devotion based. So that could be a point of contention. And then number four, accepted by most churches as valid or helpful for their faith, which I think that's a difficult one to know for sure. How many, Believed, I don't think they had like a voting system of (laughs) who's following the gospel of Thomas. You know, I'm sure there was a level of whoever, whatever church had more people likely had more power. So they probably had more of a say whenever these were being decided. And so all of this, Oh, getting back to our timeline, that's where we started here. So let me, let's revamp the timeline. Just we're all aware of this, right? Jesus is walking the earth from let's say six BC to twenty. Six AD, small sects of Christianity start popping up around 26 AD. And it's not until 300 AD to 400 AD when councils start coming together to say, hey, let's unify Christianity and create Christianity, though it might not have been called Christianity until it was unified. At 400 AD, the Vulgate is written, which is the first collection of the canon works, which was written by Jerome in Latin, Thus, translating things out of Aramaic, which was Jesus's spoken tongue, into Latin, so the first time that it gets translated from anything and some of I think his works were in Greek as well and then at four hundred a d this is now when we start seeing people getting the heretics. I don't remember exactly when I think I wrote in the book when the like major the major like book burnings were occurring, but I know right around this time between 400 and 500 is when book burning started occurring and prosecuting people for not believing in the Bible, for having other books. I mean, there were a ton of Gnostics at this time that were still going to church, but practicing Gnosticism kind of in the background. And so that's like 400 to 500-ish AD and maybe even longer, who knows, The Muslim conquests happened in 600 AD, so more book burning ensues. So who knows if even the original Gospel of Thomas made it out of all of that. It's highly unlikely, because especially in the Library of Alexandria, they wanted that to be the biggest collection of books, which meant what they would do is whenever ports or ships would come to port, they would have scribes that would copy all of their texts they would then keep the originals and then give back the copies to the people who came to port. So the library of Alexandria essentially had all the originals of all of these very sacred texts. At least it would appear that way. I can't say for certain, but it would appear that way. So now it's highly likely. I mean, my intuition says that it was probably burnt in one of the library of Alexandria raids. Who knows for sure. And then where this timeline gets really interesting is that the Vulgate wasn't even accepted into the Catholic church until like the 1500s. Like that was when they officially were like, okay. Like we'll finally accept this in. But I mean, even up until this point, like they didn't even accept the Vulgate, I guess, until the 1500s. So, you know, it's, it's a very muddied past. And hopefully I did a good job of breaking down that timeline for you.
1: Yeah, no, it's, starting to make sense I've heard some things about the Nag Hammadi that the Rockefellers paid for the you know the digs that found it and you know maybe had some influence over them somehow I don't know how much stock I put into those theories but when it comes to the council that put the books that we now know as the books of the Bible together if you could just answer the question I mean it's probably a silly question to those who are well versed in this stuff but each individual book is authored by the person it's named after right so you have like the yeah. book of peter the book of Ta- right and that so on and so forth so there are all these books from people who were in jesus's life knew about jesus wrote down stuff about him and then they said okay we're gonna keep peter we're gonna keep mark we're gonna keep you know this one that one this one but we're going to leave these to the side, right? And this is where the Gnostics come in, preserving some of the books that were lost to time, burned in the library. I have two books on my shelf somewhere. I wish I could find them or at least just yeah, you see them. Yeah, a ton of
2: books in there, man. <laughs> Tons.
1: But there's two. One's called the Forgotten Book of Eden, and the other one's the Lost Books of the Bible. So those Pretty much collect everything that I think we're describing, maybe some more stuff. Who knows? I haven't fully read those yet because I thought to myself, well, if I haven't read the full Bible, the first Bible, why should I, you know, read these? Maybe I should start with, uh, you know, the Bible and then go into the, you know, appendages, if I could call them that. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're, they should be in the Bible, but it is interesting because I think. Being that they're sort of suppressed books, it does leave a lot of room for interpretation. And I've heard people make suggestions that these parts of the Bible describe things like UFOs or aliens or, you know, maybe even psychedelic drug use. We've had a guest on the show, Chris Bennett, who's written three or four books about cannabis and how cannabis is described in the Bible as a plant called cannabossum and some scholars Mm. mistakenly attributed that to some sort of cane plant or reed or something like that when in actuality it was more probably a some sort of mixture of herbs including cannabis because what they were describing was hallucinations and going in tents where they would burn the smoke so the smoke would stay in the tent and they would essentially steam themselves in this cannabis smoke. So there's tons of stuff that is seemingly there in the Bible that's been either overlooked or in some cases left out altogether. Are there any things that you've gathered you know, that kind of stand out as like, whoa, like, I mean, the Nephilim we've talked about ad nauseum on this show. And I know you're not particularly, your book's not about the Nephilim at all. So I won't ask you about them, but aside from them, is there anything that really stands out to you?
2: Yeah, that's, uh, I've actually been thinking about this a lot because I read this in one of Paramahansa's book where a lot of, and this will tie into a lot of conspiracy theorists too, because They quote the Bible a lot in regards to flat earth. Um, I don't know the quote off the top of my head, but it's something to the effect of like uh, the firmament divides the waters. Mm. And what Paramahansa says is that it's actually discussing ether. That's the firmament. And so it's dividing this physical world from the astral world. And that's what he defines as being the firmament. And whenever it says dividing waters from waters, the water is supposed to be your body. Because we're 70% water. So it's dividing your physical body from your astral body. And the firmament would be ether. Now, I don't have a whole bunch to go off of that. I Paramahansa hasn't led me astray yet. So I tend to believe it. But I haven't verified
1: that, if you will. Yeah. It's interesting where those two worlds intersect and overlap. I'd be curious to know more about the similarities because there's this whole discussion about Jesus traveling through Asia and you know oh, sitting yeah. with Buddhists sitting with Hindus and yogis and things like that have you read anything about that what do you think about that is that is there any truth to that journey it's kind of
2: funny you say that because i just ordered a book recently which was by paramahansa called jesus was a yogi and there is a scholar in the early 1900s that wrote a book which talked about the lost years of Jesus. So like, there's no documentation of Jesus between, I think 10 between him being 14 years old and like 28 years old. And so like all the gospels are pretty much for him being 28 and over from my understanding. And again, now I've done very little research on this, so I'm very open to being wrong about some of these things, but it makes sense to me that Jesus would need to almost, let's say, relearn how to communicate with God after being incarnated. So a very Eastern idea is this idea of avatars. So me and you, at least, I mean, I assume I don't really know you that well, but I assume that we're not avatars. (laughs) So an avatar is essentially a divine incarnation of God. What does that mean? That means that this is a soul who has cleared all of their karma and are completely free of karma so that they're acting from, a place of pure freedom, which might be a little bit triggering to think that we're not truly free, but I can almost promise you, I know, let me put it this way. I know that there are karmic cycles that are still acting throughout my life that I need to break. And once I break, let's say all of them, you move up to a different, you move up to the astral. It gets a little wild, but I think Buddhists talk about this, about the circle cycle of reincarnation, where once you break all of your karmic ties, then you become free. Once you become free, you can choose to reincarnate. And there's a ton of, you know, gurus that lie in this realm of avatars, which would include Babaji, Jesus Christ, Bhagavan Krishna. And the title is what gives it away, which is Christ and Krishna. So this title is bestowed upon people that have come to Christ consciousness. So people think it's Jesus Christ is his name, when in reality, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. But then Christ was a like a title, kind of how we call people doctors. So Christ was a title that's p- placed on Jesus to signify that he is of Christ consciousness. Now, so he's of Christ consciousness. He basically, you know, we can say he gets a mission from God to reincarnate on earth and to set free the sins of man, basically help men get back on path. I think there's evidence that Paramahansa may have been an avatar as well, but I don't want to get too deep into that. But the point is, is, whenever you incarnate, there's a little bit of forgetting that occurs, and Jesus would have needed to relearn how to communicate with God. The easiest way, and everybody can do this, is to learn how to concentrate when meditating, which is a long conversation as well. But, the, but he would have had to have gone and sat with, I guess he didn't have to, but it would make sense, let me put it like that, it would make sense that he would have had to have gone to Eastern, the Eastern r- world, which would have been India, to sit with Buddhist monks or Hindu rishis in order to remember how to scientifically connect with God through yogic practices in order to attain divine union, which is essentially what yoga means is divine union. It's in, in order to j- join with God, is essentially what yoga means. Unfortunately, in the Western civilization, we've we think yoga means a series of Fun exercises with <laughs> girls in tight pants, you know? But it's actually a lot more divine than we give it credit for in the Eastern world and or the Western world. And maybe some people have gotten there, but I think whenever I got into yoga, I didn't realize the profound nature that I actually had within it. So all of this to say that it would make more sense than not if the missing years of Jesus was him being in India, learning how to commune with God through
1: rishis and Buddhist monks. I've heard that. And it does seem like he applied the wisdom of the East through that lens that was familiar to the peoples of, you know, Jerusalem, that area on the west or east of the Mediterranean there. Now we call it the Middle East. I don't know what they called it back then. Maybe the Levant, (laughs) right? The Levant. Isn't that a name for that area? But uh, yeah, that's fascinating. I wonder about Christ consciousness because when I first encountered it, it was something that I read about through like theosophy. And that seems to be, you know, just a generally foggy area of research. There's a lot of authorship that's questionable you know people like madame blavatsky taking you know what she could from all sorts of different sources and putting it all together so i'm curious you know that title of christ consciousness you know was that something that was recognized in europe back then or was that something that he brought with him from india oh
2: that's a good question i really don't know I honestly don't know the answer to that. I'm going to even refrain from guessing because I don't know the first time that he would have been called Jesus Christ. Yeah, maybe that would be a maybe that's a quick Google search of when was the first
1: time when was the first time Jesus was called Jesus Christ? Because I think now, I mean, most people just automatically associate the two, right? You know, just but it's it is interesting. I've heard that before about christ referring to a title and it wasn't like his name was chris or something you know like
2: (laughs) yeah let's see here christ used by christians as both a name and a title unambiguously refers to jesus it is also used as a title in the reciprocal use christ jesus meaning the messiah jesus and independently as the christ the concept of Christ in Christianity originates from the concept of the Messiah in Judaism. Christians believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah. Yep. We all know this. Etymology. Christ comes from the Greek word. Christos. Yeah. Christos. Nice. You got it. Meaning anointed one. The word is derived from the Greek verb.
1: creo, k- creo, meaning to anoint. Right. And that's the part that Chris Bennett talks about with anointing and how the anointing oil would have had hemp in it. And of course, where does hemp grow? India. So (laughs) that does kind of track with what I've learned. And I'm glad you found that because that was part of what I learned. That's why I instantly said Christos, because I've heard that connection before. I've also heard people refer to the term chrysalis and how there's a similarity there with that word. And a, what's a chrysalis? Well, it's where a butterfly emerges from. And if you think about you know, our third dimensional selves as a caterpillar, our fourth dimensional selves as a chrysalis, our fifth dimensional Christ consciousness self is like that butterfly that has that avatar capability of transcending karma, right? I mean, that's our ultimate goal. It's interesting how... European consciousness and empire politics, war have sort of sh- like shaded and blended that original message into this like background of stories and allegories, and but it's there, it's hiding there for people to observe, and it's not all that different from you know what the yogis and the Buddhists and wise men of renown and all over the world. I think it's something that sounds probably a little cliche to people, but I think the no matter what path you take, it's going to lead to the same truth, which kind of goes back to that initial question about, you know, why is Christianity seemingly the end of the road for a lot of people who first start off walking down this conspiracy path? And maybe that has something to do with, our European or Western consciousness rather, you know, speaking from that point of view personally. Yeah. I wonder if there's a sort of like genetic or karmic bond we have with these stories of this culture that we have to understand before we can transcend. it. And with that, I want to ask you, you know, how can someone begin to recognize the karmic cycle they may be in? What are some, ways that people can break out of that. I know that might not be your expertise, but it sounds like something you've personally had some experience with.
2: It's, I kind of side there because it's a difficult one to answer because it's so unique and individualized to the person. What I would encourage people to do. And I think this is the beauty of having been a successful computer engineer is that I became very good at pattern recognition In all shapes and forms. And that's essentially what karma is. It's a pattern. It's a, they call it in Hinduism as a samskara, which is a little groove that kind of you put into your soul from whether it was like a past thing or whatnot of what you're here to free. So, number one would be becoming really good at pattern recognition. I don't know what that means to the individual, but. That is the muscle that you need to cultivate is pattern recognition. The second one is becoming very good at asking high value questions, questions that are going to unlock that next level. Because, you know, God, if there's a divine spark within all of us, that means that we have direct access to God at all times. So just by asking a question and saying yes to being ready for the answer to that question, that's a very important point too is make sure you also communicate to your higher self, to God, to your spirit team, whatever you want to call it, communicate, yes, that you're ready for the answer. And it'll start throwing you the answer at you. It will. Now you just got to get really good at the pattern recognition of noticing when these patterns are evolving. And that is the way that source or your higher self communicates with you. It's you ask a question, you put it out there and then source comes to you and says, yes, like here it is, here it is, here it is. Now there's an element of this is also taking radical responsibility for everything that's in your life. And I know that can be triggering to people if you're not ready for it, but being radically responsible, you're, and this can be as traumatic as someone cheating on you as to how am I responsible for this to all the way to something as simple as my computer won't send an email. How am I responsible for this? And noticing Those energetic patterns that come up within you when these things occur, because it's not so much, and it can be useful to look at the outside world as things coming to you, but it's more about the inside world. What is the energy trying to talk to you about? When are you always getting mad or frustrated? What does it feel like when you're getting frustrated? And then you start asking yourself, why does this frustrate me? What about this is causing me to get frustrated? And then that's where you hone in the questions. And so then it's really just this process of pattern recognition, ask a question, pattern recognition, ask a question, and that question gets an answer. And now you need to act on it. So the process is essentially ask a question, recognize the pattern, and then act on the solution. And sometimes you might not know the solution. So ask another question, <laughs> ask a question. This is kind of the first time I'm walking through this. So maybe that's why I'm getting a little jumbled here. Ask a question, recognize the pattern, ask a question to solve it, implement the solution. That is it. And then you just rinse and repeat. You do that over and it sends you on an amazing journey that essentially, and it's kind of cool we're finishing on this because the pattern is like ego consciousness is the number one. Now modern day spirituality identifies this as first, what do they say it is? It's like first density, second density, third density. The next density, which a lot of people talk about is fourth density, which is like the transition density between ego consciousness and soul consciousness. So if you're totally in your soul consciousness, this is like new age spiritualism talks about it in fifth density. So now you're in soul, soul consciousness, and then you can transcend soul consciousness into Christ consciousness. Now, where it gets interesting is Christ consciousness actually isn't the end of the road, because then there's one more step into cosmic consciousness, which is God consciousness or source consciousness, if you will. So it's kind of cool how this podcast has played out because it's this entire progression that all of our go all of our souls go through in order to progress out of hell, which I articulate as being this physical dimension, or being so entrapped in your ego consciousness. Like that's I mean, there's no base to hell, but if you keep going through your your ego consciousness, if you keep trying to pursue pleasure through ego, I interpret that as following Satan. And if you want to follow God, you essentially start releasing your attachment to your egoic desires. So you no longer have ego deaths and this brings us back to verse one of Gospel of Thomas where you start letting go of your egoic desires, you no longer have ego deaths, you soul you identify with your soul, Now you can start to escape the actual physical death that we know as this physical dimension and transcend it. And then that's where, and I think that's where this fun really starts happening is once you can fully transcend your ego and then you're, I mean, I'm not free by any stretch of the imagination. I still know I have karmic loops, but it's a lot lighter at this point. It's a lot more fun, if you will. And so, Yeah, that's kind of the progression that every soul essentially goes through. And, you know, I I hate whenever people say everyone must find God. It's like everyone's going to find God on their own path at their own time. So, I mean, this is the path. I mean, this is a path. You can find your own path there. But, you know, it's the path that everyone's going to walk
1: at some point in time. It's just whenever you're ready for it, it's here for you. Right on. Well, Clayton, I agree. This is a great way to wrap this up. Before we do go, please remind the folks where they can listen to your show, the name of it, and of course, where they can pick up your book.
2: Yeah, Traveling to Consciousness, available on all streaming platforms. I personally like to try to promote Spotify the most. That's a whole other rabbit hole we could get into another time. But Traveling to Consciousness, available on all streaming platforms. I have long-form conversations with very enlightened content creators. I'm going to try to get you on there at some point, Mark. We'll have to talk about that off the record. The book right now, it's only in PDF version. I explain why in the PDF, but there's a lot more volumes to come. So make sure you get the first one so that you can open up your world and then get ready for when the second one's going to drop. It's very affordable. It's less than $10. I think it's $8.91 and no tax. I'll cover the tax on it as well. So 891s is the max you're going to pay for that. I created a little notebook if you guys want to follow along with it. I explain the importance of that in the book as well. And yeah, you can find that on my master link. My website's going through a little bit of construction at the moment, but you can go to travelingtoconsciousness.com and there will be a link there to find the book. You can also go to my link tree, which is slash Clayton Kiteri. You can go to my Instagram where there'll be the link for it. I'll send you a link, Mark, so hopefully you can put this in the show notes, too, if you're cool with that. And at the end of the day, as maybe parting wisdom, even if you never buy the book, even if you think everything I said is the craziest thing in the world, I encourage everyone to just focus on the words that they say and to do their best not to lie. And if you can just abstain from lying, it will... It'll bring you joy that you didn't think was
1: possible. Beautiful. And with that, folks, enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us here on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. And please do stick around till the end, till the song plays because I've got some cool stuff to talk about in this outro. So you're going to want to stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss this. I hope you all had a fantastic Labor Day weekend. Shout out to the folks that signed up on Patreon. And shout out to all the folks that stayed this month on Patreon because for whatever reason, maybe it's people's debit cards or whatever, we always lose a few people at the turn of the month. So sign up now, help us get to that 250 patron goal so we can commit to doing in-person interviews at least once a month or whatever you guys want me to do. I mean, at that point, you are all the producers of this show. It's a value for value show. Yes, we do have a few sponsors, but those sponsors are in alignment with our values, right? It's not McDonald's, it's not Nike, it's not Apple or Tesla or any of this BS, Okay, we've got Garrett, a.k.a. the man, the machine, the genius behind the hit kit, the number one gadget for any guru of ganja. Okay, if you are a smoker like me, you're going to want this cannabis contraption. It's an amazing little doobie holding device and all you need to do is pop it open, plug your lighter in and put it in your pocket and you're good to go. You don't have to worry about reaching in there and finding a salad of lint and weed and pieces of joint paper. Never, ever do that again. Buy yourself a hit kit and maybe even keep your hit kit on you when you're tuning in to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Wow, look at how natural that was, folks. I've been doing that for a while now. Garrett is a G. And you know what? Without him... be a lot harder to do this podcast so like I was saying before value for value that really helps out when folks support this podcast I'm able to spend more time studying for each guest I'm able to dedicate more time to interviews and all the things that are required to run a podcast so please do help out with that and you're you're not just throwing your money away There's an incentive, an incentive, an incentive. I hope we all ascend, but I I meant to say incentive. Um, There's an incentive because we got tons of bonus content and new bonus content on the way. Like today, I just uploaded three new interviews, including this one. But two of them will only be available for patrons only. So look forward to that. One of them we're talking about Orgone. Another one we're talking about X-Men and weird stuff going on with the you know what. So look into that. Sign up on the Patreon. Sign up on the Substack to hear more. I may be putting something like a a a teaser at the end of a new episode, but the plan moving forward after the summer is to put out uh, one to two episodes a week, and then have one of those be for supporters only. So we're gonna go down to one episode a week potentially. I'm not sure. We might do two. I know we've been rocking with three for now, but I'm going to figure out something to give all of you more of an incentive to support the show because this is a business, right? It's a it's a free product, obviously, but I do have to monetize it if I have any hope of continuing this and growing and uh, improving my life, right? Because this is one way that I'm doing that, maybe listening to this show, is a way that you're doing that as well. So I hope so. And if you're on that journey, get in touch with me. There's a bunch of ways you can do that. Email, Instagram, Telegram. Tell me your story. Tell me your synchronicities. I would love to see more voicemails that we could play on the show. It's very easy to leave me a voicemail. You just go over to our Telegram group and you leave us a voice message. Now... If you want it to be uh, played on the show, obviously, you shouldn't have any problems with sharing it in the Telegram chat, right? Because whoever's going to hear it in the Telegram chat is going to hear it on the show. So just share it there. Uh, Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to comment and say, what the hell was that? Leave your message. Tag me so people know, oh, this is a voicemail for the show. And uh, don't be intimidated. The only scary person in the Telegram is Rob, and I know him personally. He's a nice guy. So sign up on the Telegram. That's a great way to stay in touch with the show, be in touch with the community of people that listen to the show, and chime in, leave a voicemail, because I do want to play some of those voicemails on the show again. I did that in the past, and I'd love to do that uh, in the future more often. I do have a priority for the supporters. So supporters, please share your voicemails in the supporters only telegram chat. We got a bunch of new people that joined that this week. Thank you all for doing that. And yeah, that's about it. Gulag America. Shout out to them. They sponsor the show now. Uh, We're doing four ad reads. You've already heard two of them. Two more to go. Uh, but Gulag America is cool. Use the promo code crazy 10 to save 10% off or just crazy. Try them both. See what works. But Gulag America has some cool stuff. Some don't tread on me shirts some patriotic shirts, some very bold and blunt shirts. If you're the type of person that has attitude and you want people to know about it, Gulag America is definitely a shirt for you. Um, yeah, they make a bunch of cool clothes. It's not just t-shirts, but yeah, it's it's a bold brand for patriotic people. who are fed up, quite honestly. I mean, I'm one of those. Never quite considered myself patriotic. Fuck the federal government. But I definitely believe in most of the American values, aside from the corporate bullshit and the banks and the federal government and all that crap i think there's a lot to preserve here in america and i'm certain that a ton of people listening agree with me because most of you live in the states if not well thank you for tuning in to this american podcast from whatever part of the globe you're on and no doubt america has influenced your country in some way right so yeah I don't know for worse or for better I like the United States I don't see myself moving out of it anytime soon but I have been considering some uh, global travel some trips abroad I never have done that I really honestly can't afford to do that I'd like to do that and maybe with the power of this podcast I'll be able to raise enough money to travel and take you guys with me on my adventures. That's part of my goal, some my vision board, so to speak, and that's part of the the steps with the Patreon goal, right? So if 250 people sign up for the Patreon, we're already, you know, more than halfway there. We need uh, less than 100 people to go. So if we can get to 250 patrons, then I will be committed to doing one in-person interview a week or a month and i'm not talking about having my buddies over at my house i'm talking about traveling to see interesting people go to interesting places and put ourselves out there with synchronicity being open and and seeing who we encounter i've had great luck with that in my life heck i've met (laughs) sam tripoli and Started working for him. You know, people have heard my story about Amos and countless other people that I haven't mentioned that have come into my life through synchronicity. Michael Wan's another person I can definitely add to that list. But yeah, I want to, you know, really get out there and explore the possibilities of the synchronicity when that challenge of finding people to interview in person is a reality, right? So I need 250 patrons to get there, sign up today to help us achieve that goal. And uh, patrons, I promise we're gonna have some awesome bonus content if you do commit to supporting this podcast. I'm gonna make sure we got some cool stuff in the meantime, and of course, you always get early access, but please do sign up and support the show. Or send us a one-time donation and receive a shout out we haven't gotten any one-time donations yet this week and i would love to see one uh at mystic mark on venmo or paypal and hash uh cash sign mark steves jr on cash app if you prefer cash app uh that is s-t-e-e-v-e-s so that's about it for me folks clayton q awesome guest really got me inspired Uh, And I'm going to be doing a bonus episode for the Patreon people only where I read the secrets of Enoch from this copy of my book, The Lost Books of the Bible, which is an awesome book to own. If you don't own it, I recommend you look for it. Uh, Another good one is The Forgotten Books of Eden. Wasn't able to find the Gospel of Thomas in this. Maybe I missed it. Or maybe it's its own, you know, copy in this series. But it was published by. Let's see. This was published, because there's no author. Obviously the authors are the people from the Bible, the apostles and whatnot. But it was published by Crown Publishers. So in the 1980s the forgotten books of eden and the lost books of the bible highly recommend you pick up those books and of course uh revealing the secret teachings of jesus the gospel of thomas by clayton Terry our guest today check that book out as well the links will all be in the description and uh yeah shout out to all our supporters there was a new sign up i think in the past few days so i guess Big shout out to Mike T. Thank you so much, brother, for joining the Best Friend Book Club. Uh, Although I I haven't, uh, that perk hasn't been active in a while. Uh, You can download the PDF copies of all the scene editions for free. Just email me and I will give you access to all three of them. That is the new perk for anyone in the Best Friend Book Club. And it's about the same value as buying all three of them plus having a Patreon subscription, maybe a little more. But I do have an excess of books again, so I think I'm going to bring the Best Friend Book Club back. So if you want me to send you a book, uh, just make sure that your address, your shipping information is in Patreon so that when I look at the tiers, I can see who has paid for the best friend book club and even people if you ever signed up for the best friend book club and maybe you canceled because you didn't get anything just send me a message on patreon or email me my email is in the description of this episode just let me know and i will add you to the list of people who will receive a book because i had an influx of new books and i would love to uh spread the love with the with the knowledge spread the knowledge and the love so sign up for the patreon if you want to be a part of that best friend book club uh, on patreon it's a tier you'll find it very easily and shout out to mike he is a g anyways that's all for me hope you're doing well out there and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now
0: Extra-terrestrial, trying to stay human and a full of professionals, but I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. Hobby saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from. In like a hundred years, we went saw bomb from guns. Check the facts, check the Fed, check the stars. Stanley Mines was merch for a water fuel cell car. They each they own, you can stick with your own ways. But eat the rich and drink the motherfucking Kool-Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collabs, you American made. Fuck it. You can keep your blood so temporative And run the soul off the moon landing narrative Yeah My girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts But never question the parenting Stuck in bed So my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots But it's all kinda hazy Good morning in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's a navy and it wouldn't phase me. My family thinks I'm crazy. Baby, baby, baby. My family. Think that I'm off in the deep end Want too many Netflix docs on the weekends But check the budget for a military defense Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason Steel beams, another 1492 And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue And you be lit off the floor, I ain't got a clue All your dreams just shit on the Rockefeller shoes Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up Ken Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy. Good morning in the net, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm un-American, it's shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged, baby. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien. It wouldn't face me. My family thinks I'm crazy. Baby, baby, baby. My family thinks I'm crazy. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Just maybe. maybe Stuck in bed on my boss, that's so lazy. Me. And that's what it's all kinda hazy. Come on again, that feeling like I'm baby, Dick Tracy. My baby, thinks I'm on the shady. Baby, I'm baby, feeling none The counters of the famous kind on the same You can tell me baby, that the president an atheist, baby, and it wouldn't phase me. Baby, my family baby, thinks baby. I'm crazy. Yeah. I think one thing I've learned is <laughs> you can't roll anything out. So, you know, maybe I could.